You're listening to a sermon recording from Southside Christian Church. The sermon you're about to listen to was delivered by Brooks Wilson on August 19, 2018. For more information about Southside, visit our website at southsidechristian.com. I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. Jesus is alive and is everything that we need. But once upon a time, there was a family on a road trip. And a little boy sat in the back seat, and as the family drove along the interstate, he saw the sign for McDonald's. And uh, there he saw an opportunity to buy a combination of food and a little toy that would be wonderful. Somebody in a fit of marketing genius called a Happy Meal. And so from the back seat, the boy begged, Mom, Dad, can we stop here, please? I simply must have a Happy Meal. I can't live without it. And mom and dad said, no, that little toy, you know, is a piece of junk and the meal's not super healthy, so no, we're not going to do that. But, but he thought, you don't understand. He knew that they would be buying not just fries and McNuggets and a dinosaur stamp, they'd be buying happiness. And so he told them, I want that Happy Meal more than anything I've ever wanted in my life. And if I get it, I'll never ask for anything else ever. I'll be content for the rest of my life. I'll be satisfied. No more complaining. No more demanding. If I get that Happy Meal, I'll never ask for anything else again. And his parents thought, that's a pretty good deal. And so they bought it. And guess what? It worked. The little boy grew up and his life was full of contentment and gratefulness. He was a joyful man. His life was full of grace and serenity. In many ways, his life was hard. Uh, His wife uh, divorced him with three small kids. He had to work uh, to, to take care of those kids day in and day out. The kids were kind of a disappointment in life too. They all dropped out of school. They, they sponged off his meager resources. At the end of his life, he was living hand to mouth as he waited for his social security Uh, to give out, but he never once complained. He was full of contentment and satisfaction. Often he would think longingly of that happy meal he got when he was a boy. And he would think, what great joy I found there. Just as he predicted, it brought him lasting satisfaction. He was grateful the rest of his life. The end. Now let me ask you, does life ever work that way? No, of course not. My goodness, a happy meal bringing lasting satisfaction? Never, right? You would think from time to time, you know, kids would sort of catch on to this, right? Like, you know, the last time I got a happy meal didn't really last that long, the happiness there. Uh, so, you know, that you think that they would catch on and say, you know, next time we, we drive by McDonald's, I'm not going to get suckered in next time. But they don't, of course. When the excitement wears off, you just need another Happy Meal. So we we keep buying them and they keep not working. In fact, the only one that Happy Meals make happy is McDonald's. You know, you ever wonder why Ronald McDonald always wears a smile? It's because he's got billions of Happy Meals sold, you know? Of course, only a child would be so naive. 
Only a child would be foolish enough to think that a thing could bring such lasting satisfaction and contentment, right? Uh, Maybe not. Sometimes we don't grow older and wiser. Sometimes our Happy Meals just get more expensive. King Solomon thought so millennia ago. He said this in Ecclesiastes 1. He said, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He says this in verse 8, all things are wearisome more than one can say, then I never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. We never have enough, he says as human beings. We, we never are content with stuff. And he goes down the list. Remember Solomon in Ecclesiastes talks about pleasure and success and wealth and wine and relationships. None of it brings lasting satisfaction. The happy wears off. And then we need healing. So I wonder what are the Happy Meals that you're pursuing this morning? What are those things that you, you feel like if you had in your life would make you genuinely content and genuinely grateful? If I just had that, if I just had a new car, if I just had a new job, if I just had a new boyfriend, if I just got rid of this boyfriend, uh, then I'd be content. I think Robert Hughes was right. He wrote a critique of America called The Culture of Complaint in which he argued that we live in a society where people, where where we perceive ourselves to be entitled to having all of our desires fulfilled. We expect our desires to be fulfilled all the time because it seems like every American believes this truth, that satisfaction comes with more stuff, that gratitude will come with more groceries and greenbacks and garage doors and goods. Is that true? Is, is gratitude really waiting around the next corner with what we uh, buy next on Amazon? Is that where it comes from? Over the last few weeks, we've been on this last road trip of the summer. You know, we've been uh, looking at some different places in the Bible and kind of traveling there to see how the places shape the stories of the Bible and then how those stories, in fact, shape us. And today, I want to invite you to open up to John chapter 5 to a place that we read about there. It's on page 864 and those brown pew Bibles in front of you if you want to follow along there. I want to go to a place right in the heart of Jerusalem, the ancient capital of the people of God, a, a place that came to be known as the Pool of Bethesda. In fact, why don't you uh, buckle up as you're turning there for just a moment as, as we travel there by video for just a few moments. Have a look at this. In Jerusalem sits an ancient water reservoir that served the city and the temple during the time of Solomon's temple. It was known as the Upper Pool. Later, during the second temple's expansion, a second pool was constructed to increase water capacity. As Herod the Great continued his expansion in Jerusalem, these pools became a popular place for washing and were thought to have healing waters. They would come to be known as Bethesda, which means house of mercy or house of grace. Many sick would come to these waters, and it was to one such person that Jesus came on the Sabbath day. The man had been an invalid for 38 years until his encounter with Jesus. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? The man explained his plight, and Jesus simply invited him to get up pick up his mat and walk. He did. 
This miracle ended up causing a confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders who not only persecuted Jesus for working on the Sabbath, but also for claiming to be divine. This action, along with other miraculous healings on the Sabbath, would ultimately cause the religious leaders to cease to tolerate Jesus and plot to destroy him. Eventually, they would hatch a plot that would lead him to another nearby Jerusalem location, Calvary. But the words of Christ at the pool of Bethesda and his power and mercy echo forward from these pools and into our own lives and circumstances. Do you want to get well? So around an ancient place of water, Jesus has this profound conversation with a man. And through that encounter, Jesus introduced healing to this man beyond just his body. He offers healing to a man who is imprisoned by ingratitude. And so this morning, I just want to take a moment and kind of walk through his story together with you in John chapter 5 to see uh, how we too might break free of our complaining culture and, and live lives of contentment and of gratitude. Uh, first of all, let's see in this story, John 5, uh, a man who's shackled by discontent. Here's the story, John 5, verse 1. It says, uh, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, uh, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? See, Jesus comes into the big city, to Jerusalem, the city of Shalom, of wholeness, and it's a festival time. So thousands of people are packing into the city. You know, it's packed. And, and Jesus comes in and he does not go to the palaces. He does not go to the places of mass appeal. Jesus goes to this kind of tourist trap where the dregs of society are brought in their helplessness and laid by this pool, you see. Now, the people there apparently had a legend that said that from time to time, by this pool, an angel would come and stir the waters of the pool. And when the waters were first stirred, the first person to get into the waters would be healed. This was their superstition. So if you had somebody in your house who was sick, wasn't feeling well, somebody who was crippled, you may bring them uh, by the pool early in the morning, you know, maybe on your way to work, you'd bring them there. And then, you know, you come by on the way home from work, maybe if they hadn't been healed, they didn't get in the pool, then you would take them home. And some people did this time and time again. There were lots of people there, John says, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, but you had to be the first one, according to the superstition, to get into the pool when it stirred in order to be healed. Now, let me ask you, who do you suppose were the first people to get into the pool once it was stirred? The pitiful paralytic whose limbs were twisted and who couldn't move? No. Who's the first person getting into the pool? Person with chapped lips, hangnail, headache. This is... 
quite a weird system here. This invalid keeps getting dropped off day after day for 38 years. He has been sick longer than, than maybe many people in antiquity even lived. He's experienced this wilderness of pain for about as many years as the people of, of Israel wandered in the wilderness, 38 years. Day after day, he lives with this kind of dying hope, this growing discontent. I can only imagine he's growing more bitter, more hardened towards God. And this is quite a system at this pool. A system that does good things for people who don't need much, but who does next to nothing for people who are absolutely in desperate circumstances. And if we're not careful, you understand our Christian faith can do the same. There are times when we have somebody, maybe uh, a part of our community who's been in a car wreck or some calamity and we as a Christian people will rally around them and we'll bring meals and we'll help them financially and it's wonderful. It's great to love our neighbors like that. But then there are other people in our community. They're ex-felons. They screw up and do some bad things. They're in trouble. They lose their job. They have no hope at all moving forward for financial help. And eh, yeah, maybe, eh. That's this invalid. He's been there for 38 years, discontent and bitter and maybe complaining. 38 years waiting for that happy meal, healing to make him useful. 38 years and Jesus comes up to him and asks him, do you want to get well? (laughs) Well, the thought had crossed my mind, you know. But it's not a bad question. Have you ever noticed that some people prefer to stay bitter? That some people get a secret thrill out of being the victim. Jesus wants to know, do you really want contentment? Do you really want to get well? It's a question we should consider. Do you want to get well? Do you want contentment in Christ? Do you want healing and satisfaction in Him? Or do you prefer to work yourself uh, near to death, seeking promotions and achievements at work for something that they can't provide for you? Will you uh, prefer to devote hours and hours of your time, you know, to finding network or network television or, or Netflix binge watching to, to find the, you know, the sort of perfect show that will entertain and, and that will make you laugh and cry and, instead of like actually living your life? Do you uh, seek to pref- drive yourself into debt, seeking to acquire that which money can't buy? Of course, you know, achievement, entertainment and work uh, they're not bad things. They can be very good gifts. They're just very bad gods. They don't lead to contentment. They don't lead that road to Jesus' healing. So what, what does? Well, verse 7, Jesus asked this man if he wanted to get well. And here's the man's response. He says, Sir, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Well, this man has suffered not only physically... But he's also suffered uh, human cruelty. You know, 38 years of people pushing past him to get into the pool, of people ignoring him, of people, uh, you know, virtually just taking advantage of him. So instead of answering Jesus' question, he offers this kind of testimony filled with blame, right? He discounts the blessings he has. Did you hear what he said? He said, sir, I have no one. Really? No one? Somebody had to carry him every day down to the pool and maybe carry him home every evening. Somebody had to care for him day in and day out. Really, you have no one? Surely you would even think laying around a pool for 38 years, you'd make one friend during that time. You have no one? 
That's the problem with being discontent. Surrounded by blessings, we can look for something else and be blinded to what we have. I suppose we know the truth of those great philosophers, the Rolling Stones. Remember what they sang? I can't get no satisfaction. I try. Maybe you feel that discontent in your life. Maybe you feel that you have no one. That's why as a church, it's not important for us only to gather together in this great room and worship the living Jesus. It's important for us to gather together, as Adam talked about, in journey groups. People gathering together to live the Christian life together, to, to be shoulder to shoulder as we seek to live out the kingdom life together. Maybe this, this season is the time for you to join a group. You're surrounded by blessings here. They're sitting to your right and to your left. You have someone. But this man, surrounded by help, couldn't find contentment. What would bring it? Well, as Jesus road tripped to this man in verse 8, he also encountered something that shackled him. I'd call it uh, thanklessness. Jesus, it says in verse 8, said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. I love this. Jesus doesn't even debate the man's poor theology or this weird superstition. He just offers mercy. And he heals him. John writes, the day in which this took place was a Sabbath, the Jewish holy day of rest. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath and the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Uh, The man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. Now this, this is amazing to me. Uh, This man was healed and without a word goes on his way. Not a thanks, not a pat on the back, not, not anything for Jesus. 38 years, he's, he's struggling, nothing. Plus, you'd think the religious leaders would be pretty, uh, ex, you know, excited about this man's healing, right? But when they see this man healed, what do they say? You're under arrest. Can you imagine 38 years of suffering and he's healed on the wrong day? The Sabbath And so the question shouldn't have been, uh, who told you to pick up your mat? The question should have been, who healed you? But it's not. So here are these people who don't do anything good for these sick folks. But when they do something wrong, whammy. It's kind of like folks who don't do anything for young people. They don't mentor at Blackhawk Elementary School. They don't help with kids at church on Sunday. They don't help with Compass after school program. They don't do anything for young people. But boy, the second those young people pick up a spray paint can to graffiti or throw on the red dress and go to town, aha, the trouble with young people today. Nobody in the story seems grateful. It doesn't take as long to even find out that this man doesn't even know the name of his healer. Did you see that, verse 13? They say, who is this guy? And he's basically saying, you got me, no idea. Really? 
Later, Jesus in verse 14 seeks him out. It's another road trip of his grace. He comes to him again and he finds him. Did you see? Not just anywhere. He finds him in the temple. In the temple. A place where an invalid had no, uh, could not get into, had no place in. And he finds this man in the temple. Surely now this man will be grateful. Surely now he will bow in gratitude. He will thank Jesus for this wonderful healing. Surely he will. But you see what he does instead? Verse 14. 15, he tattles. He rats Jesus out to the Jewish leaders. He thinks on Jesus. What kind of guy is this? I don't like this guy. Earlier he said, I have no one to help me at all. Well, of course. Now I understand. Because when you did have somebody, when you had the very Son of God Himself come and help, you couldn't even say Thanks. But before I condemn him too much, I suppose I have to wonder why it is that the people I'm most grateful for in life are the ones I say thanks to the least. Why is that? So, here comes the part in the sermon where I tell you, you ought to be grateful. You ought to say thanks to your friends and family and co-workers. You need to be full of gratitude, but honestly, it won't work. Gratitude cannot become duty. You can't obligate gratitude. You parents know this already. I bet every single one of you parents, probably you grandparents, have this question in your back pocket all times, right? Anytime anybody comes and does anything for your kids, you ask the same question. You say, now, what do you say? What do you say to the nice man who just gave you this this gift? What do you say to Aunt Eva for her Velveeta Spam and Lima Bean burritos, you know? Now, what's a kid supposed to say, you know? What are they supposed to do? I mean, it's not really a question. It's an obligation. Your duty is to say thanks, and so they say thanks. But it's not really heartfelt. I mean, we would be shocked if our kids actually responded authentically. We'd be upset if they said what they really thought about Aunt Eva's burritos, right? You know, Aunt Eva, what are you thinking? You should not be allowed to cook. How dare you bring that into my home? No, no, no. We'd probably be surprised with heartfelt emotion. You know, if our kids said, Aunt Eva, I have a sense of awe and wonder at what you have just brought. I am but a child. You are an adult without your care, without your loving sacrifice in this meal. I would die On behalf of all children everywhere, Aunt Eva, I salute you. No. Thank you is what we expect. But the duty of saying it does not make us grateful people. So I'm not going to tell you to say thanks. But I am going to ask you to alter your perspective. And here it is. Every person in your life, just like this this invalid in the story, every circumstance that you have in your life, just like this, this healing story, is a little bit like the tag you find on clothes at TJ Maxx or in outlet stores, a tag that says, slightly imperfect. And here's the perspective I want you to change. Learn to delight in slightly imperfect gifts. Don't expect everybody in your life, your husband and your wife and your parents and your kids and your coworkers and your friends and your pastor to be perfect. Every relationship we have is slightly imperfect. And when you can deeply embrace that, 
You can be free from unrealistic expectations of everybody in your life. And I think, I think you can grow into a grateful heart instead of a griping heart. Jesus said to the man, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. I think he whispers that in our ear as well. Stop Stop this bitter discontent. Stop reaching always for the next Happy Meal satisfaction. Stop this ingratitude or something worse than physical deformity or financial struggle or boredom will happen. Well, what is that? Spiritual death. Your soul will wither. What will bring satisfaction? Contentment. It's not going to come in stuff or situations. It's going to come... In a relationship, albeit imperfect on our end, with a Savior named Jesus and with slightly imperfect people sitting around you this morning. So here's what I'd love for you to do this week. I want you to think about that perspective. I want you, if you're able to embrace that, if you're able to look around the people and even turn and say to them, man, I love you and you are slightly imperfect. You know, if you can bring that to mind, if you can make that a part of your thought process, here's what I'd love for you to do this week. I'd love for you to take a moment and write that person a thank you card. Not an email, not a text message, a handwritten note. Do you remember those? (laughs) Maybe a few moments just to think it through, be honest, encouraging, grateful, ask for nothing, just be grateful to the slightly imperfect people around you. And... If you really want Jesus to heal your heart and your life, you might just make that a habit as well. Uh, Father, we're thankful for a story of such imperfection that reminds us that um, we are imperfect people as well. And as we sit in this room to bring our imperfect praise to you, uh, we're reminded of a God of perfect mercy and grace who showers us with things we don't deserve, uh, even when we don't say thanks. But we want to take a moment today, Father, to say thank you, to show our gratitude, both to you and to our brothers and sisters around us, to love them as we love ourselves. Uh, help us this week, Father, as we go about uh, our week, as, as school is starting maybe for many, for uh, change in schedule, to be reminded again and again of the slightly imperfect nature of people around us and to thank you and to thank them anyway. In your grace, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.